eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll from 60 to practice to the sideline to the locker room following every twist turn and touchdown of the Saints season that is going to be a touchdown Taysom Hill Taysom TD welcome to Inside Black and Gold and that is going to be a touchdown again and guess who Mike Thomas now here are your hosts Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak oh baby we are inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. And we've got some new Saints wide receiver news to talk about. Uh, there's also some questionable grades given out to, I think, someone a lot of people consider an authority on analytics and PFF on some free agency grades. And then we're also going to get into some over-unders from Vegas, which I'm more interested in than hearing i guess what pff has to say about what they're expecting not just from the saints but the entire nfc south the conference kind of curious to see how that turns out because i feel like people have been there there may be sleeping too much on the saints i think we should be grading the free agency graders before they can give out grades but we'll, we'll get into that yeah in the second segment and then we can also talk about you know some of the some of the rule changes that are being talked about this week at the owners' meetings. I think we're going to hear from Dennis Allen on Wednesday, on Tuesday. Um, and so we'll have that for the Friday episode of this podcast. But it is funny because we were talking this morning about, you know, we don't have that much to talk about because nothing had happened since Thursday, really, <laughs> in terms of, you know, any news for the first segment, which is usually where we kind of plug the news that's happened. And then wouldn't you know it, 10 minutes after we have that conversation, <laughs> the Saints agree to terms with Brian Edwards, which it's rare to get to the day that the team signs a contract with a player without having already learned about the team signing a contract with the player. But that's what happened. It was only about 30 minutes before he like penned a paper that it was actually reported that Brian Edwards had signed with the Saints, which is kind of 
It's kind of rare, which means that we actually got to talk to Brian today. So we will have some sound for you to play in this segment of us, of the interview with Brian after he signed his contract. So that'll be something, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a surprise to me that the saints went after Brian Edwards. What is a surprise to me is I feel like I heard about Brian Edwards a lot more than his stats with the Raiders would indicate. Like it felt like he was working with Derek Carr for a while and it felt like he had some success there, but it was only two seasons and the numbers are not exactly jumping off the page at you. He in his rookie season, which is 2020, he was a third round pick, by the way, out of South Carolina, six three, about 215 pounds, 11 catches on 15 targets, 193 yards and a touchdown. 2021, 34 catches on 59 targets, which isn't a terrible number. You know, he's a mildly used receiver, 571 yards, three touchdowns. And then last year he got traded to the Falcons, really only played in a couple games, got had three catches for 15 yards. So it is interesting. And you kind of look at this roster and you say, where where is he going to fit in? And I think the spot that he's going to be filling realistically is whatever role you had carved out from Marquez Callaway last year. I think he's going to be in a similar situation as Marquez, where you're not going to use him in the kind of regular offense, but he will be incorporated if you maybe you're without a couple players, maybe you're without a Michael Thomas or a Chris Olave or Rashid Shahid, then he would be kind of that first guy off the bench. Um, and that's why I think that familiarity with Derek Carr is very helpful in this in this regard. Yeah, pretty curious to see you know what more he can bring to the wide receiver room right now. I know he's a pretty, you know, big body guy. You, you think contested catches, but I just, you know, there hasn't been that much development even with Derek Carr even though he spent two years with him so it's yeah there's some familiarity there I, I doubt that's this is someone that you know Carr is going to be looking at as a quote-unquote security blanket or anything you no. know you start I, you just start thinking about about names coming over from the Raiders and you would think that they would have I, I thought there'd be more familiarity too with each other I guess like what you were saying he wasn't with, even on the Raiders last year <laughs> right. And then he, I think he had like even a cup of coffee with the Chiefs. Yeah. He ended up on their practice squad, but he never got in a game. Right. I think he was on the Falcons for seven games. He was there uh, in that week one game with the Saints. So he was on the field. He had a target in that game. He didn't have a catch. His whirlwind experience in Atlanta included that game. So that's uh, unfortunate for him. Well, but hopefully, one- he, hopefully he can come here and challenge uh, the Saints underachieving third round p- draft pick at wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, he and Traquan can hang out and you know have blocking competitions. There you go, right. One thing that I did think was interesting <laughs> is while he said that Derek Carr's signing here kind of made this a more likely landing spot for him, he didn't actually talk to Derek Carr. He had not talked to Derek Carr as of the time we talked to him today, which is kind of interesting. And here's what he had to say about uh, about that situation in general. Honestly, I didn't, you know, just kind of knowing who he is as a person and and knowing, you know, what you're going to get out of him. I didn't really need to. I kind of, you know, built up a relationship with him and you know what you're going to get out of Derek. You're going to get somebody who works hard and who's, uh, you know, willing to put himself out there and willing to lead. So I don't really need to talk to him much. But yeah, like he speaks highly of Derek Carr, but it's not like these two guys are like kismet. Like they're not like. I mean, I think there's respect there. There's mutual respect there. But it's not like 
you know, like the Raiders brought in Devontae Adams, who Derek Carr played with at Fresno State. And that was very specifically done because there is a relationship there and they like playing with each other. And I don't know if that is necessarily this situation other than they're comfortable playing together. And that's a good start. And I think as you're learning a new offense, having someone doing it at the same time that you do share kind of a language with is helpful. I think it's the same reason the Saints were interested in bringing in Foster Morrow. And that obviously didn't work for obvious crazy reasons. He got diagnosed with cancer. So I think this was kind of their concession of we wanted a guy who can maybe be a big bodied receiver. We wanted a guy who is kind of in the same boat of coming from the Raiders to here and, and learning that new system. And Brian just made a lot of sense. Yeah. It wasn't like he came out and was like, Oh yeah, me and Derek were boys. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It did um, not. I did not get that sense at all that like that they hung out on the weekends or anything like that. Like for them not to be in contact at all, it means that Brian probably doesn't have his cell phone number. Cause like, wouldn't you text him? Guess what, dude? Right. Right. So we're getting like, the band back together. Yeah, which is not it's not, it's not an issue per se. Maybe maybe Brian lost his cell phone when he went to Atlanta and he just doesn't have his numbers, right? Like there's a lot of reasons that might be the case, but it is like, you know, a lot of times you'll hear that interview and there's no reason not to be like, oh yeah, that's my boy, you know? And in this case, it just was not that interaction at all. No, I, I'm sure they were good teammates and all, but it does, yeah, it definitely wasn't something where, like you said, it was this, this, this spark and there's this connection and it was maybe Derek Carr going to the saints. Hey, why don't you maybe right. bring, bring Edwards in kind of thing. I don't, I don't even think, yeah. Carr was probably like who? Uh, yeah. I think that's a, <laughs> I don't think that, but I, I think that's a good, a good way to phrase it. It's like Derek didn't go to the saints and be like, can you get me Brian Edwards? Right. 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 Like that's not what drew this. Whereas it could still work. I think they do work pretty well together in that like, Brian Edwards didn't have a great season, but 30 catches, 500 yards, three touchdowns. There is production there. Funny thing about Brian Edwards is I actually covered him when he was in high school in Conway, South Carolina. It was almost a decade ago. It was in 2013. And I just vividly remember this. The quarterback throwing the ball was named Peyton Derrick, <laughs> which it's just like that's such a that's such a unique combination of names that fits this team so perfectly. Peyton Derek Derek Carr's throwing on the ball Peyton, hmm. Peyton Sean Peyton's the former anyway it was spelled like Peyton Manning but it, that was the first name but I remember that game and I remember watching it and this was a one and eight football team this was not a good football team but you saw him out there and he was returning punts and you were like this guy's just a different type of athlete like they were kicking away from him because if they kicked the ball to him he was going to score every time so they would like kick it 20 yards out of bounds knowing that if they did anything else, they, they weren't going to get away with it. And uh, he and Hunter Renfro, they played about 13 miles apart from each other. Hunter Renfro was a quarterback for Sockesty in high school in South Carolina. And I, it was always kind of neat to me that they ended up on the same team in the NFL because they weren't even on the same team in college. Brian went to South Carolina. Hunter went to Clemson. And then they met on the Raiders. And that there's nothing insightful about this whatsoever other than it's just kind of crazy like a decade ago i was watching this kid play high school football in south carolina and now he's going to be on the saints yeah i mean i'm interested to see like what exactly the the rest of how this is going to shake out for the, the the depth chart i guess you could say at wide receiver for the saints obviously we know 
you got Michael Thomas, Chris Olave. I guess after that, you'd say Rashid Shahid uh, or Traquan. Well, what's going to happen with a guy like Kawan Baker, Kirk Merritt, Keith Kirkwood still out there too, you know? Um, I mean, uh, that's what training camp's obviously going to come for. And we'll see, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see if there's a uh, that connection right away that we see Carr maybe looking towards Edwards' way a little more than some others because there is a familiarity. I don't know. Okay, so this is kind of this is really random, but I was just I had to go check to see if Quan Baker was still on the Saints because I had a dream the other night, <laughs> and this is super weird. But I had a dream that involved someone. I remember it was like someone was saying, "Oh, this is going to be the breakout of 2023," and they were like Kawan Baker, and I was like, "Wait, what do you mean?" And he was like, "He was on like the Packers or something," because because the Packers came and signed him off the practice squad, and then I woke up, and then I'm but like and. Just now, I was it like, wait, hit you, right. he's still on the Saints, or did he get signed off the practice squad, or did I dream that? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, I dreamed that Kawan Baker got signed off the Saints practice squad. He is not. He is still there. So, yes, you know, he was suspended six games to start last season. I think that really undermined any chance he had to have an impact on the roster. They did keep him around, so it does indicate that, at least to some extent, the Saints do like him. They drafted him in the seventh round out of South Alabama. So maybe this is a year where he can fight for a bigger role because, as we kind of alluded to, Marquez Callaway is out of town. Jarvis Landry is still a free agent. So there are roster spots to be had. Marquez Callaway signed with the Broncos. Uh, Sean Payton is kind of getting the gang back together. He also signed Tony Jones Jr. and Lil' Jordan Humphrey. Also lured Joe Vitt out of retirement. Everyone remember Joe Vitt. Joe's decided to come back, huh? From what I saw, he he is coming back. They Sean lured him out of retirement. So um, yeah, and so he's got a very familiar looking staff up there. You got Michael Lombardi, you got Declan Doyle, you got Zach Streif. It's basically Saints West at this point. But I mean, there are openings to be had in this wide receiver room. I don't think Brian Edwards is necessarily a lock to make the roster it's going to depend on how things go in camp, right? And if a guy like Kawan Baker shows up and impresses, if a guy like Kirk Merritt shows up and impresses, I think this is a year where you have the top-end depth on the roster, but you don't have the bottom-end side of that equation. So whoever stands out on special teams, whoever stands out in their role could be on the roster. And that could be Brian, could be Kirk, could be Kawan, could be any of these guys, could be, you know, draft pick number three, you know, whatever. I do expect the Saints will use at least one draft pick on a wide receiver. I think that's going to be an interesting position to watch this year for sure. Yeah, there's like you said the the draft and then obviously afterwards the undrafted rookies there always seems to be that story with this team. Who knows, it'll be interesting. Like I said, training camp time that's that's definitely a position that I think there's a lot more I guess you would say position more battles to watch for snaps than many would think just because you're hoping, obviously, you have, you know, your Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Rashid Shahid as, I think, your top three. Yeah, and someone's going to make this team as a kick returner, you know, because Rashid's not going to be an ex- – I mean, he will be the kick returner, but he is also going to be incorporated in the offense. So I imagine he will only take one of two. Like, I don't think he's going to be a full-time wide receiver and a full-time punt returner and right. a full-time kick returner. I think you'll probably try to have him – either kick return or punt return and then have someone else 
handle the opposite to kind of keep that load a bit off of him. I would guess he returns punts and then you have someone else returning kicks. That would be my guess. So, you know, if one of these wide receivers kind of stands out and I don't think Brian Edwards is that guy, um, that's just not, you know, he's 6'3", 215. He's not a speedster. Uh, I think that's going to be a role. You know, like I think Marcus Sherrills was a guy they brought in way back when. Like it could be a defensive back, right? Like it's not unheard of to have a defensive back return kicks. Um, but they just typically you wouldn't see the ball skills. So you'd be a little more concerned about the ball security back there. Um, either way, like with Deontay gone, with Marquez gone, those were your, you know, Marquez was always the safety net at returning. And he's gone now. Deontay's gone, right? So there's going to have to be somebody who can, like, what if Rashid gets hurt? Who's going to return kicks? Just have, you have Taysom do it. Well, right. It's Maybe that is where you go. But either way, <laughs> you're going to have to figure something out for a secondary returner. And so, you know, who knows? Maybe Kawan can do that. You know, he's a fast guy. That's interesting, yeah, because I, I hadn't really considered him. I don't know if he's done that, obviously, in the past. But, yeah, that was something curious, I thought, too, even with last year when he got suspended, that – even as a seventh round draft pick, I thought his time was very, you know, shortcoming. His end was near for the Saints, but they they decided to keep him around. They must like what they see. They do see from him, or even with the suspension, right? Like they could have easily. Yeah, right. It was like, eh. And he ran a four four five forty. That's pretty. That's pretty good. I don't know. Either way, that's something to keep an eye on. I'm just um, waiting until we can say Kawan Baker, the touchdown maker. You know, something. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. Here's a, one more clip from. Uh, Brian, on why he picked the Saints. You know, obviously, uh, you guys got uh, Derek Carr, you guys got Jonathan Abram, a couple of guys that I'm pretty familiar with. And uh, just the opportunity, man, I know, you know, what you guys do and and kind of some things you do on offense. So I felt like I would be a great fit here. And I felt like, you know, it would be a great opportunity for me and my family. You know, I just feel like I, I bring a, a willing competitor, you know, somebody who's willing to 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 do whatever it takes to, to make the roster and to contribute. This is a guy who I think had a rough year last year, right? Like he's a third round pick. He got cut in year three. He got traded from the Raiders to the Falcons and then got cut from a bad roster in Atlanta. Like that was not a good team. They didn't have Calvin Ridley because he was suspended anyway. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who got cut from a very subpar roster. Um, And so he's got, I think he's going to have to prove something to this to this Saints team to make sure that they actually keep him around. Yeah, the biggest thing I guess you want to you want to hope for obviously the there was talent there obviously to be a third round pick. We haven't seen really oh, he was enough, good at South Carolina. But we haven't really seen enough from him obviously in the NFL. Hopefully coming to this Saints team is is some kind of spark lit beneath him and he gets that chip on his shoulder I guess because yeah, right right now, just looking at numbers only, n- nothing really stands out to you that, you know, makes me really overly excited about the signing. Yeah, I mean, in college, he had 234 catches for 3,045 yards and 13, I'm sorry, 22 touchdowns. So, like, he was very productive in college. And I think for if Brian makes this roster, it's going to be because he shows that he can excel at contested catches. That is something that... Dennis Allen pointed to specifically at the end of last season saying we need to be better in that area. We really didn't have anybody who could do that. Uh, I think Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry were kind of one a and one B in that regard. Like you brought in Jarvis Landry because he was that guy. And if Mike Thomas went down, you could turn to him. Well, they both went down. 
But I think you still do want to have someone behind Mike who can at least, you know, I don't think anyone's going to replicate what Mike can do, but in the sense that they are physically similar and you can at least run your offense the same way, I think that's what your goal is here. And I don't know if anyone else on this roster can do that. So if, if for Brian Edwards, I think, you know, more so than special teams, like he's going to have to play special teams. I think that during camp, he's going to have to prove that he can be, I don't want to say elite, but be upper, upper echelon in terms of you're not going to get wide open separation, but you've got to be able to go up and box out these smaller players and make plays. And if he can do that, then he is a useful person for this team because I'm not going to sit here and bet on Mike Thomas playing 17 games. Even if he's healthy, I think you're probably looking at 14, 15, right? Like even, I, I think he's a maintenance guy, right? Like you see that in the NBA, load maintenance. I think you have to be cognizant of that with Mike. So having someone who can slot in is important. And that's, to me, that's the big thing with with Brian. That's what we're going to have to watch for in training camp. No, like you mentioned, definitely uh, Dennis Allen mentioning uh, the contested catch aspect is going to be something huge. And hopefully whoever does come in too can sit down with, Chris Olave a little and help him out. Yeah, that is going to be something to watch with Chris. I, he talked about at the end of last season, getting stronger, getting more physically imposing. So he's not getting bullied as much um, as he goes downfield. And so hopefully he can do that. Hopefully that is something he's put a lot of time in this off season. So, because I'm, I'm very interested to see how he progresses from year one to year two. Cause I think he does a lot of things really, really well, but he does some very specific things. Not well. Right. Like he is not a, a perfectly all around receiver right now, or at least he wasn't last year. And part of that is ball security. Part of that is going up and making a tough catch. And then part of that is getting open and he gets open as well as anybody. What he needs to do is make catches when he isn't able to create five yards separation. What he needs to be able to do is go to the ground with the ball and not drop it. And so, yeah, that's that, there's all that that you're gonna have to watch. For. That's that's one of the thing up there. It might have been maybe at sometimes it was a bad thing last year, but I, you could always tell the gears were always turning up there for him. Um, he's definitely a very cerebral, I feel like, wide receiver too. And maybe you definitely know where he's gonna sit down and look at the tape, and and obviously know where he needs to make improvements. I just I just see that that same kind of desire that you had with a, with a with a Michael Thomas that that want there constantly. We'll, we'll see if he, how he comes in at camp. Cause the, the bulking up body wise is definitely something that's, that's going to be needed, even though he shunned away from it. I remember I, when first drafted and then it was like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to need to bulk up a little bit here. Yeah. He learned throughout his first <laughs> season. And I think Mike Thomas too, is, is a good example of someone who he didn't always look like he does now. Like when he came <laughs> into the league, he was much, a much thinner looking frame <laughs> And he bulked up significantly in yeah. year two and three. And so that's something that I don't think Chris wants to get too bulky. I think part of what makes him good is being able to be smooth down the field and transition into and out of his breaks. And so you don't want to add too much weight and lose some of that. But I think there's a middle ground and, and he's got to find it. But all right, let's 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 wrap that segment up. We'll come back. We're going to talk about some of the other free agent signings and more specifically the grade they got from Pro Football Focus because I think – there's, I, I have questions about their methodology and uh, how they ended up where they did. So keep it locked on Inside Black. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow him on Twitter at SteveGellerWWL. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you're looking to check out some of our latest content, go over to WWL.com. Or you can listen to the radio. Who does that? But yes, and and if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you probably can't see it because it's not that type of podcast. But Steve is wearing an inside black and gold hat, which he went out and got for himself. Fresh new merch. Fresh, fresh <laughs> new merch that only we can have. <laughs> you never know. We're doing like a limited edition trial run. <laughs> yeah, we'll raffle it off for the two people who might want it. <laughs> anyway, so let's get back to it. And we're going to talk about kind of the Saints free agency. And, you know, there was one set of grades that went out. And part of the reason you even put out these grades is to rile up fan bases. And so... You know, you never want to get too in the weeds about whether they're right or not, because they don't matter at the end of the day, but it's the off season. So what else are we going to talk about? So we're going to talk about that pro football focus, free agency grades. And then I also want to ask the question, did the Saints let the right players walk? Because I think more so than who they signed is who they didn't sign. And so we're going to get into that. But first, so I think the first thing that that really jumped out at people was that not only did the Saints get a C, in free agency from pro football focus and they and they use this weird you know pff war gained factor which i don't even know what that means they got a lower grade than everyone else in the division the other three teams the falcons the panthers and the bucks all got b's but the saints got a c and what annoys me is the reasoning behind it because there doesn't seem to be any justification for why the saints got a c other than Derek Carr was not that good in 2020, 2022, which is fair. You know, I would say it had a lot to do with Josh McDaniels, but and he was good with John Gruden the two seasons before that. So, I mean, sure, if you want to overweight 2022, whatever. But here's here, this is a direct quote. This says, It is fairly easy to talk yourself into this deal if you ignore Carr's 2022 season as he ranked top 10 in passing grade in yards per attempt from 2019 to 2021. This is also agnostic of the roster situation where New Orleans is aging at key spots and continues to kick the salary cap can down the road in perpetuity. This approach was completely reasonable with Drew Brees, but it is highly questionable with the quarterbacks New Orleans has rostered since Brees retired. So you're you're talking out of both sides of your mouth there. So you're saying it's not worth doing unless you have a quarterback that's worth doing it with. But then you're saying that they shouldn't have signed Derek Carr, who is the quarterback that you should be doing it with. Right. Like they're arguing both sides. And here we are again talking about the salary cap in disingenuous ways. I just, it just annoys me. Like that's not analysis of the free agency moves. That's just you saying you don't like how they handle their salary cap. So how does that affect the actual team on the field this year? It doesn't. Is the only one they talk about too, the Derek Carr deal? No, they talk about other, the other contracts. Okay. Well, and that's what makes it even more annoying. So, you know, they talk about Colin Saunders here. And so they say, 
Saunders is built like a tree trunk at six foot and 324 pounds. But if you put on his tape, you'll see a guy that rarely gives up in pursuit of the ball carrier and brings a lot of energy on his limited snaps, blah, 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 blah. They respond positively to that signing. Here's another one. Shepard is a former third round pick out of Fort Hayes State who was one of those under the radar signings that could look pretty smart in the near future as he was buried on a very talented depth chart with the New York Jets, but will now presumably have a much larger role in New Orleans. They say it's a sizable investment. Sure, three years, 15 million. I think that's very much middle of the road. Uh, one thing that's interesting is he's listed on the Saints depth chart or the Saints roster as a defensive end. So I'm interested to see whether they actually do kind of try to convert him into defensive end or maybe kind of shift him inside and outside like the goal was with Kentavious Street. But either way, like this is generally a positive review of these two players. I was going to say, all right, we got some more positivity there for sure. And they get to see. So really, so really it was just the big knock on the Derek Carr deal. Yeah. Apparently signing Derek Carr <laughs> is the reason that they're going to be bad. Like the reason this is bad is because they paid money to bring in a quarterback, but their argument for why you shouldn't have done that is because it didn't make sense to do until you had a quarterback anyway. And yeah. then you read, you read like the, the Tampa Bay one. And it's like, they got a good grade because they signed Jamel Dean and Levante David. So they re-signed those two guys. Right. And then they signed Baker Mayfield. That's about it. They also signed Chase Edmonds and Greg Gaines, a running back and a defensive tackle. I mean, cool. That's a B and you're getting a B because you're tanking. Like, it, that that is pro football focus saying they should tank and they are and so good job. I don't know what what, what a world there. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was funny initially. Obviously, when I see the Buccaneers getting a B in free agency, so yeah, the, they're basically applauding. Like, congratulations on your efforts on being one of the worst teams next year. Congratulations on your non-effort. Yes. Here's Atlanta. So, you know, you you would think, hey, this te- they must. They, they must be tearing Atlanta apart for paying <laughs> for throwing nose for a right. safety on a team without a quarterback, right? Nope. Atlanta Falcons general manager Terry Fontenot comes from a New Orleans Saints organization that has always emphasized the safety position, and his second-ever draft pick with the team was selecting safety Richie Grant number 40 overall. Fontenot continues that tradition with a splash signing for the top safety on the market in Jesse Bates. The Saints have never, since Jarris Bird, paid top market money for a safety. They let safeties walk. We've seen it repeatedly. So not only is this 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 analysis off, you are justifying an above market contract for a safety by saying that's what the Saints do. And that's why you're not going to be negative about it. And then overspending at defensive tackle, overspending at linebacker. This could this is Caden Ellis. This could end up being a great signing on an ascending young player and Nielsen has obviously seen him practice every day for 4 years. But Atlanta went pretty high here for a guy with a small on-field sample. They went pretty high there. Onyemata <laughs> began, the, began the 2022 season with a suspension. Also not true. That's factually incorrect. <laughs> it was the wrong, 2021 wrong season. Right, wrong year. Yeah. Onyemata began the 2022 season with a suspension. Parentheses SIC. But Atlanta does not appear overly concerned with his production going forward. So, like, part of their analysis is saying, well, he didn't have that much production in 2022, but it's because he missed six games. Except he didn't. <laughs> anyway, so I'll, that is to say, if you're if you're looking too much at this, you're doing it wrong, and that's exactly what I'm doing, is I'm getting too worked up about someone who doesn't really know the team talking about the team. But I would, I, I would also be annoyed if I'm the Panthers, because I think the Panthers deserved a better grade than either the Bucs or the, or the Falcons. Yeah, they shouldn't be lumped. You got to give them at least a B plus then. 
Right. I think the Panthers had an excellent free agency. They didn't overspend crazily, right? They brought in very high caliber players. Now they have the first overall pick, so you can bring in a quarterback. And they added Andy Dalton, who I would argue is a good depth quarterback who can start a couple games for you if you need him. So, like, I think they got a they had a, they they had a B plus off season or free agency at worst. But no, um, I mean, you, you just some of the names. I mean, Sam uh, DJ Chark, Hayden Hurst, Von Bell, Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen. Yeah, they they made some pretty good splash. I don't want to say splash, but moves that made you kind of like turn your head and go, hmm, what Panthers are up to something, something brewing over here and definitely going to be real, real interesting to see what they do with that number one pick. I, I, I definitely don't see them moving down as some have rumored to be. It doesn't, that would make absolutely no sense in a realm why you'd make that humongous move to get up there in the first place. I think, I think it's all a smoke screen to try to convince Houston to trade up to number one. Seriously, I think they want, if you remember, um, I think it was the 49ers who traded back with the Bears from two to three because they had convinced the Bears that they were going to draft Mitch Trubisky. And so the Bears traded from three to two. The 49ers were never going to draft Mitch Trubisky, but the Bears were like, they panicked and they did it and because they, they desperately wanted Mitch Trubisky. And I think that's what uh, you're trying to do here if you're the Panthers is you're okay with more than one. Like you're kind of split on maybe I want this guy, maybe I want this guy. And so you're going to allow the Texans to make that decision for you. And you just have to convince Houston that that you're going to take whoever they think they want. Because if, if you can get the 12 and like turn your second round pick into the 12, <laughs> and like, like it's worth it. I, th- I think that's what it is. And if, and if the Panthers do pull that off, then it's, a, then it's the grift of a century. But either way, the players they signed, Safety Von Bell, friend of the program, Andy Dalton, Shy Tuttle, Hayden Hurst, Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen. So three of those are former Saints players. Hayden Hurst is a former Falcons player. Miles Sanders is a former Eagle. And Adam Thielen is a former Viking. Watch, only- watch, watch right. out Carolina media for those exciting Andy Dalton press conferences. Yeah, right, right. Listed on here, losses, DJ Moore, Sam Darnold, Pat Elfline, Damian Wilson. I think that they they did a very good job of kind of splitting the gap here of, you know, you might not be perfectly ready. Like you're not perfectly positioned right now because you don't have the quarterback yet. But I think they split the difference here of of going all in and versus just adding quality players who can help kind of build. And potentially, you know, we talk all the time about how the NFC South sucks and the Saints have a really <laughs> good shot at winning it because it's so weak. They probably feel the same way in in Carolina, and they still have that defense—a defense that has flummoxed the Saints multiple times over the last several years. So I I, I think it's again, and we talked about this on Friday on Sports Talk. Like, if I had to pick one team in the NFC South that I was worried about, it's the Panthers, and it would be very frustrating if Andy Dalton goes out there and is the foil to the Saints this season. Well, it didn't matter last year. It was ridiculous, too. But whoever they had at quarterback, they still owned the Saints last season, which was just gross uh, and, and a, a totally gross season. But, uh, yeah, the Panthers are always a problem. They, you know, we always talk about, obviously, the Falcons and even the Buccaneers when they had with the, the rivalry got heightened because Tom Brady was there. But there's the those little kitty cats from Carolina are are, are always an issue. That, but I don't feel like that – that rivalry is at that next level there, you know? Yeah, people want to say the Bucks and Saints are rivals. They're not. 
<laughs> Drew Brees and Tom Brady were. Sure, like right. The Saints and Tom Brady were. But there's nothing about Tampa Bay that is even remotely rivalrous as, well, it, I, as it pertains I, to the Saints. I guess it kind of picked up with Mike Evans, you know, with, the, with his shenanigans. Yeah, but he never wins that fight. <laughs> like, well, they, they, they say, like, Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore have a rivalry, but he's never caught a pass against Marshawn Lattimore. So, like, <laughs> it can only, it's only it's a very one-sided rivalry. Like, this, the Bucks want it to be a rivalry. But they have to prove they can be a like a like a competent franchise before you can say that, and they've never once proven that. Say, like independent of Tom Brady being like, okay, I'm going to win a Super Bowl here, and then leaving. Um, so I guess let's get into the before we before we close the segment. Let's get into the question that I wanted to ask, which is, did the Saints let the right players walk? And so I'm just going to go through this list here, and I want to hear your your, yeah. your opinion on that. So wide receiver Deontay Hardy, he's up to the Bills. Wide receiver Marquez Callaway to the Broncos, linebacker Caden Ellis to the Falcons, defensive tackle David Onyemata to the Falcons, defensive tackle Shai Tuttle to the Panthers, quarterback Andy Dalton to the Panthers, defensive end Marcus Davenport to the Vikings, safety Justin Evans to the Eagles. Is there anyone on that yeah. list that you really would have liked to see kept around? I know the an- the obvious answer we've already talked about, but is you know w- what are your kind of opinions on that group? Uh, for, for what I know now and those contracts that were given to them, no, I, I I think the Saints did a hell of a job in, you know, getting back a lot of talent along the D-line that they lost because, you know, some overspendage there with Tuttle gone now, Onyemata, uh, linebacker, that one hurt the most to me, just Caden Ellis, uh, liked the guy a lot, high energy, great attitude, someone you were developing, uh, late round pick, and it makes sense though for him to follow a guy like Ryan Nielsen. So I, I get that too, but um, yeah, for out of all of them, I would say for me, the the only one that bothers me is Caden Ellis. I would say, plus it's Atlanta. I think to be truly critical of a player leaving, the question isn't just, would you want to have kept them around? It's also, would it have been a reason? Like, was it a reasonable contract? Like, could you have justifiably <laughs> spent that money? And even when it comes to Caden Ellis, I don't yeah, think right. that you, you could have. I don't think you could have justified $21.5 million to a 27-year-old who wouldn't be starting. And so as frustrating as it is, I can't disagree with that. And if you're wondering how like a deal like Caden Ellis is, a deal like David Onyemata's three years, $35 million, kind of resonated within the Saints locker room. We talked to Malcolm Roach today, and here's what he had to say about, about David's deal. <laughs> yeah, we talked. Uh, uh, I told him, I said, I said man, they um... – you couldn't turn that down, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud for him. I mean, he'd be crazy if he did turn it down. That's how I feel. Um, but he worked for it, you know. Uh, one thing, Big O, Big O is a, a different type of guy. You know, he's not from here, so you know everything that he learned was foreign to him. You know, we grew up playing. I grew up playing football, you know, every day and things like that. So, uh, you know, just seeing the work that he put in and the things that he's able to come to get to his not second but third contract, you know. That's um, you know, it also made it kind of makes you look at it like, man, a big old able to do it. I see what he go through. I give me the confidence, no man. I know I could go do it. And um, yeah, we talked though. We talk still, and um, you know, that's probably I'm probably gonna continue to talk to him for the rest of my life, probably. But you know, great guy, uh, great dude, uh, hard worker. Um, don't make him mad. I want to say, um, <laughs> um, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. That that's one of the things I laughed there at the end because of what he said, don't, don't get him mad because 
you talk to him. He's one of those gentle giant kind of dudes in the locker room. You talk to him very nice, but you hear his mouth on the football field and it is raunchy, nasty, dirty. <laughs> he's definitely up there with like a CJ Gardner Johnson with trash talk. So I think that's funny. That is interesting. Yeah. Cause I've talked to him a few times and he comes off as like this cuddly teddy bear. Yes. Um, Malcolm Roach also talks a lot more than like we we haven't talked to Malcolm Roach that often, but he had like he spoke for like twenty minutes today. And these Zoom interviews usually end up like end up being like between five and ten minutes, and he but he just had long answers and he had a lot to say. And I think he's very happy to be back in New Orleans. But you know you you hear a guy be like he would have been crazy to turn that deal down, and so you can infer from that he was not going to get that deal here, and he knew that, and Malcolm knew that, and like. Because it's not a reasonable contract for a guy in that situation. And I think that when you look at the players that they let walk, in almost every instance, that player either did not really have a role or was getting paid above their market. It was true that like the players didn't have the role that didn't have a role. Deontay Hardy, Marquez Callaway, Andy Dalton, Justin Evans. All of them have kind of been replaced, right? Jameis is the backup quarterback, so Andy has nowhere. Deontay or Rashid is the kick returner so Deontay doesn't really have a role you brought in Jonathan Abram so that's kind of the Justin Evans spot and then you obviously just signed Brian Edwards so Marquez is gone right then you had Caden Ellis David Onyemata Shai Tuttle and Marcus Davenport between them you're talking like 46 million dollars shelled out on free agent deals the only one the only one that I think the Saints should have seriously considered is David Onyemata and the reason is they're going to have a $10 million dead cap hit charge this year because he is not on the roster. So if you had given out a three-year, $35 million contract, you would have at least in terms of the cap this season and next season and the season after that, assuming he's still on the roster, you could have spread that cap hit out. So you wouldn't have dealt with it this season, but it's like, I think that was so far above what the saints are willing to do that even that did not make a big enough dent. No. And the, the fact of the matter is too, he might've wanted to go with a Ryan Nielsen too, but yeah, I I guess money talks though, when it comes down to it, let's be real. Yeah. And I think the saints just kind of saw the writing on the wall to some extent, like he's 30 years old. He's declining. Like he's not getting better. He's still very good, but he's not getting better. Right. Like his best seasons are behind him. And it's like, you have to be realistic when you're, when you're looking at that. And that's why like you hear a lot of the criticism of the saints cap management. And it's like, what are you supposed to do other than resign your players as they are ascending and allow them to walk in free agency when they are on the backside of their careers is what you did with Teron Armstead. Right. It's like the only player that you could say they didn't do that with is Brees. And then maybe Mark Ingram, but like you brought Mark Ingram back because you were desperate for a backup running back that, and you knew the system. It was just made too much sense not to do it. Like in, but generally speaking, outside of the safety position, um, you do try to do that. You do try to make sure you're only handing out second, even third contracts when that player is still at their peak. And a lot of, and then you get criticized on the opposite end when you don't do it. Gonna say a lot of folks are butthurt over Trey Hendrickson. I didn't. I don't really yeah. have a problem with with that one because he had flashes at, at, at times, but there was a lot of injury history with him too. I look at Trey similarly. How uh, I look at Trey similarly to how I look at Caden. I would have loved to keep Trey. Yeah, but he played himself into a contract that was not reasonable. 
Exactly. I was like, I can't match that. There's always going to be one team with way too much cap space, right? And it's never going to be the Saints. Right, right, exactly. Uh, Except except for, I guess, that year that they went out and blew their load on Bird. I think they learned their lesson from doing that. Right. Like I think that was... it's just amazing then that then that's of course yeah. they had the money to go and blow and look what happened. Right. I think that was an kind of out of character move for this team. And you can kind of see like when they do stuff like that and it backfires, they don't do it again. Right. Like they drafted Stefan Anthony in the first round and they haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since then. Right. Like, cause I don't think they see the value there. And when you miss, that's such a waste. Right. Because there were so many other premium options available at that point. But then you get defensive tackle or defensive ends that that bust. So I don't know. It's either way, I, I'm very much okay with all the players they let walk. Again, Caden is the only one that I think you look at and be like, that's a net negative. Right. Like I don't I'd like I don't see Onyamata leaving and being replaced by Colin Saunders as kind of a net loss. I like I think you're even there and you may have gotten slightly better. Shy Tuttle and Nathan Shepard kind of is the same thing. Like, I don't see that as a net loss, whereas oh, yeah. linebacker at that Sam spot, which granted isn't a position you use that often, but is a position that you do want to have someone, a quality player at, that is definitely a net loss, where whoever you're replacing him with is not going to be of the caliber that Caden was. But if you had to take a net loss somewhere, that's probably the best position you could have done it at because – you don't use it that often. It sucks too, just because I think that um, obviously Ellis is a dude who would have pushed uh, Pete Warner even more going into this year. Uh, P- Pete was great, obviously just dealt with some injuries, but I just you know it was a good combo they had there going on, and it, the the lack of drop off in production when Warner got hurt was truly amazing last season. And yeah, kudos to Ellis for getting paid, I guess. Well, see, and here's the other thing, and what makes it even more difficult is. You couldn't justify that contract unless you were going to put Caden at the mic and have him kind of push DeMario because Pete's going to be here for a while. Pete's not going anywhere, and he's going to be that Will. Maybe you ship him to the mic, but I think he is far better suited to play the Will position because he's more of an athletic, rangy linebacker as opposed to a big kind of burly run stopper. So we don't know if Caden can play the mic. We haven't seen him do it. And like if you're projecting down the road for like, okay, this guy's going to be the starter. It would have to be at that position. And so you're not even filling the role that he excelled at. It just didn't make sense. And it's frustrating, but I, like, I can't, I I can't come up with a good, a good justification for why you would have paid him all that money. If it was three years, 15 million, hundred percent. I do it every day, three years, 12 million. Like I'm doing that twice. Now go go ahead and take that dirty bird money. Go ahead. Good luck. Right. See you twice a year. Right. And it's like what's what Malcolm said about David. It's it's what I'm gonna say about Caden. Good for you, man. You got your back. <laughs> Especially on a third contract. At 30 years old, you're cashing in for 36 million dollars. Sheesh. Yeah. Good for him. Anyway. Uh so I think we we're both kind of in agreement there that like, you know, whether the players they signed work out or not. I think that the decision to let these specific players walk, you know, it's it's hard to argue with. It'll be like you said to a little bittersweet if we all of a sudden see the Carolina Panthers being, you know, led down a fourth quarter drive by Andy Dalton in week one or something, and like I'm I'm gonna have a heart attack in the press box. 
I don't know if bittersweet is the is the <laughs> is the term. I think it would just be all bitter. Like I wouldn't be happy for him. No, no, yeah, nice guy and all too. But yeah, we don't we don't like him that much. He was only here a year. There would be no sweetness. It would just be bitterness. I'd be like that. that God, like because it's like you would say like, well, the only reason he could do this is because he spent a whole year practicing against this defense. <laughs> oh, I would be very bitter. Anyway, all right, let's let's wrap that segment up. We're gonna come back and we have dates for camp which you know starts setting that schedule and then we're going to talk about the over-under that came out for all 32 nfl teams but the nfc specifically i think you're going to be surprised at how high the saints actually rank in this in this list so stick around for that yeah not us being homers this is vegas baby One more segment here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Follow us on Twitter at Jeff Nowak and at Steve Geller, WWL. Mine has an underscore in between those those two names. So, yeah, go UConn. I've uh, I've been very, very much correct about my assessment of UConn being the best team in the NCAA tournament. And I'm going to win our work bracket despite having the worst bracket if they win one more game. They don't even have to win the championship. If they win one more game, I will win our work bracket Despite having the fewest total correct picks, right? right just how you draw. It's just amazing on how little everybody else had too much chalk. I guess I don't know. I am the only person with their projected champion left. No one else even has a team in the championship game left alive. Yeah, my only Final Four member is UConn, (laughs) and you have them losing. Had them losing to Houston, right? Yeah. So. No one else could even get a point. It's all UConn for me. And then I'll win like, what, like $80? <laughs> like, yeah. Great. I'll make back basically all the... You know, it's funny because I, I bet on the first couple rounds of the tournament and I just got hosed. I was terrible. And I was I always avoid betting on UConn because I only bet them to win because I why would I ever bet them to not cover the spread, right? Like I want them to do well. So I bet I don't bet with my head. In this case, I would have made a killing. Because they yeah, would have not only right. covered, like they would have covered every spread. They won every game by fifteen plus. So I could have bet that in the over. Done anyway. No, it's, yeah, it's been sheer domination from them for sure. And and speaking of gambling, right? It's a good <laughs> segue here. We're going to talk about the over unders that came out regarding the NFL for the twenty twenty three season. Now, if you remember last year, the Saints came in at seven and a half, and everyone was like, "Grr, how <laughs> dare Las Vegas!" tell us that this team is not going to win 10 games, right? Mm. Well, you get to the end of the season and they're playing for it in week 18. They had seven wins and nine losses. If they win that game, they're going over. If they lose that game, they're going under and they lost. So if you were an under better, you you won by the skin of your teeth. I'm guessing many of the listeners to our podcast were not under betters though. I don't think, I mean, I think there was a lot of confidence in that team. And, it, you know, and then we remembered that Vegas is almost always right. And so in that vein, if you want it. that to be true this year, yeah, I think they, they have a lot of, they have a lot of money invested in not being wrong. You know, I think they do a pretty good job. It's like, how did, how did they know that the, that would be a season of the terrible, no good injuries constantly happening? The, the turmoil of quarterback, once again, uh, Jameis Winston going down early, uh, stupid double doink in in London. 
Well, I mean, they don't know that. I'm just saying it just how it panned out. It was like, I mean, damn, they had it, they had it pegged perfectly though with the seven and a half, like you said. They don't put 15, they don't put three. You know, like the lowest is the Cardinals at five and a half, right? The highest is the 49ers, Chiefs, and Bengals at 11 and a half. So, I mean, in that sense, like, yeah, some of the teams went way over, right? I think that they just projected the Saints to be a middle-of-the-road team, and they were. I don't think that they made that saying, oh, yeah, but they're definitely going to start two and five and then beat the Eagles in week 17, right? Like, that's that's or week 16, I can't remember. Like, right. that's not how, like, it just happened that way. Because um, Gardner Minshew will be in, right. Right. Like it's, uh, and it just happened to be that for the Saints, right? Like the Eagles very much covered their over last year, right? And the Jaguars, actually, I don't know. Jaguars probably hit there. But either way, so if you are of the belief that the, that the Vegas is always right, and you also think that the, that the NFC South winner is going to have fewer than 10 wins, then why not? But so the Saints come in at 9.5, and they started at 8.5, which means, that when that line came out, people hammered the over. And so it went up. And I think that any any team with an established quarterback gets a lot of credit in these figures because you look at like the Eagles, the Saints, the Lions, the Giants, the Seahawks, the Vikings. Those are the all the teams with 8.5 or higher. The only team that kind of doesn't have a quarterback as the 49ers. I was going to say San Fran is that. Eh. But they have proven that they can win with anybody. You could put a shopping cart with an arm on it and he would find a way to get it done. But yeah, so the Saints at 9.5 are tied with the Lions for the third highest like figure here, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah. The Eagles are 10 and a half. They're not getting any credit whatsoever. And then the 49ers are 11 and a half. So like, it, it, like last year, I think Vegas projected a lack of confidence in the team. This year, I think they're projecting a lot of confidence in them. Yeah, and to me, I, I felt the same way right off the bat. I was surprised to see them coming out with that high of a number. And yeah, the, it just goes to show that Vegas is much higher than maybe some others on this new quarterback situation where I'm, I'm really surprised, I guess, on how many folks, I guess, are – are doubting, I guess you would say, Derek Carr and what his situation here in New Orleans. But to me, uh, I, th- I think we've seen a guy that's been able to produce in Vegas until last season was a down year, and I'm just looking forward to him being able to, you know, have that chip on his shoulder again coming here kind of deal. But I just don't think the situation overall was good there for him. And, man, I'm just hoping uh, for obvious reasons – this Saints defense can stay on an elite level uh, with at least the the point-scoring defense. They just got to get a heck of a lot better when it comes to turnovers. Yeah, I guess. I'm betting the under. <laughs> For the wins? Yeah. That's not a good bet. I'm not betting. I'm not betting on 10 wins. Like, that's a bad bet. There are bets you can take here. I'm not betting that unless I'm taking the under. Like, that's just not a – like – you might feel in your heart that the Saints are going to win 10 or more games, but like there's a better than average chance that even if you win eight games, you win the division, right? So like they could get to the week 18 at nine and seven, you know, just like the Bucks this past season, but have already clinched. So in terms of just gambling, that is way too high of a line. If it was eight and a half, I'd feel better about it. Nine and a half, no way am I betting that. It's just a bad bet. 
it's definitely t- a tough number. It's you know, 10 wins. At- like everything would have to go right for them to be an 11 win, 12 win team, right? Like if, if a few things go wrong, I think you're down in the nine win, 10 win range and you're right on that margin. Like you're going into week 17, like not sure. <laughs> I'm just saying in the yeah, sense of I'm like, trying to justify the over saying, okay, maybe, you know, you win five of your six division games, but I don't, I'm not even that confident in that. Well, well, right. I'm just saying, like, if you're trying to win a bet, that's not the bet I'm taking. If you want to win a bet, go hammer bucks under six and a half. There's <laughs> no way that team, if that team wins seven games, it's a massive failure. They they got everything they were trying to do wrong. Like, they are trying to lose. So that's the bet I'm taking. You know, Lions nine and a half. I'm not, I'm not sold on the Lions. I think they they caught fire last year. I'm yeah. not sold on them kind of being a power now, which that's kind of what you're projecting. No, um, where Jared Goff is, I do not consider a power. Right. The Rams at seven and a half, I don't think they're going to be significantly better than they were last year. I think they're very much in kind of purgatory of like, they went all in, they got their title. They're never going to say they regret it, but these next few seasons are going to be rough. There's just no way around it. Can they find a way to get to seven wins? Maybe. I don't see eight in there. I definitely don't see nine. Cincinnati at 11 and a half seems tough, man. I, I'm not, you know, it, yeah, the Chiefs at 11 and a half, Bengals at 11 and a half, and the Bills at 10 and a half, then the Jaguars at 10 and a half. It's just a lot of wins, but it's really hard to bet on Pat Mahomes not getting 12 wins. Sure. Um, and they're in the same division. That's the weird thing. They play each other twice. <laughs> so that if one of them sweeps the other one, then that kind of kills it. Dolphins, nine and a half. LA Chargers at nine and a half. They're a very strong part of me wants to bet under nine and a half on the LA Chargers. Well, what's going to happen with Eckler over there? Well, right. And I just think this is the year Brandon Staley really loses his job. <laughs> and Sean Payton's going, damn it. Yeah, should have waited. Should have waited one more year. Speaking of Sean Payton, the Broncos, eight and a half. So they're not getting any – they're getting that immediate Sean Payton bump. They're not giving him a year at six and a half to, to try to try to sort that out. I think eight wins would be a massive success. An eight and nine season for that team after what they went through this past year would be a massive success. Um, all right, so let's, let's move on a little bit. So there's obviously – the NFL is kind of going through some rule changes this week, and they're voting on it. The Saints made one rule change proposal. And it's one that I think they've been pushing for for a while, and I really would like to see it happen, is they're proposing a rule change that would allow NFL teams to make just one roster cut throughout all of training camp. So instead of going from 90 to 85 to 80, you just go from 90 to 53. And so you would basically, you would be able to keep all 90 players on your roster until the end of the preseason, and then you would have to cut 27 players. It's obviously a lot of players, but it's not that much more significant than cutting 17 players. And like, I don't understand why it's beneficial for anybody to have to go into the final preseason game where you're probably not going to play a majority of your starters and you only have 80 players. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how does that help anybody? So long, long and short of that is I don't understand why this rule will not pass, but I'm sure it won't for some reason. Well, you know why? Because it's the Saints proposing it. <laughs> it's possible. You need 24, I believe, um, of 32 teams to vote yes 
to change the bylaws. You know, there's a few other rules. One of them is they are voting to see if to they're voting on Thursday night flex scheduling. So for like from weeks like 14 to 17 or 18, rather, you know, they could potentially change a Sunday afternoon matchup into that Thursday night football role because they want to make sure that there's no meaningless games on national television, which I don't think that's going to help the ratings, but whatever. No, and I, I think we talked about this maybe Friday sports talk, the we fact did. that how many teams are you going to piss off to if all of a sudden you're playing and you're going to flex me now to another Thursday game? I don't want to do that. Yeah, they would have to give him 15 days notice. I have a feeling even if they did put this in, it would rarely happen because like you're like you're pointing out, like it would it would Right. That's really not fair to me, me, they're gonna say. Yeah. And so like I think they would want to avoid it. But like if you end up in week 16 with a <laughs> matchup of like, you know, the Bucks and and you know, whoever, you know, the Panthers who are like four and twelve. Something, right. Like, right. Yeah, I know what you mean they don't want to have to deal with that. And so it's like, I think that's probably a situation where they would change it. But if it's even one team in playoff contention, I think that you would keep it. Cause like you look at like the flex scheduling, they don't really use it that often. Like they can do that now for Sunday night football, but you don't really see it very often. Like maybe once a year and they can only do it from a certain point on. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the NFL kind of like nudges some people and they end up getting that across, but I'd be more in favor of them. I'd like to see them flex some Monday night games because after that whole weekend, you know, where we work Sunday, you don't get to see a lot of football. It's like, all right, cool. I'm off Monday. I just want to watch the last game of the week and it's some crappy matchup. And you're like, oh man. Yeah. I don't understand why they, why they're doing this with Thursday and not Monday. It's a good question. Maybe it's because of the networks. Maybe ESPN has kind of like a non, like an exclusive exclusivity, like something or not something or other, but yeah, so there's only a few other rule changes that are that are actually notable, right? Like every year they try to make roughing the passer reviewable and then never passes. You know, they want to make it so you can wear number zero, which would be kind of fun. Hmm. The only rule change I wish would happen is we we stopped with the nonsense, uh, a lot of taunting stuff or, you know, the or what's getting called as roughing the passer anymore. One other rule change that I would like to see them them enact is from the Detroit Lions, and it's basically to to bring back the emergency quarterback roster spot, which they always had, but basically they just kind of left it up to teams whether they would use this spot for a third quarterback or an extra player, and every team decided to carry an extra player. And so what ends up happening is you only have two quarterbacks on the roster, and Brock Purdy goes down and then Josh Johnson goes down and you end up having to put Brock Purdy back in the game because he's your only quarterback, even though he can't throw the ball. Right. So the proposal is, so you basically get an extra roster spot on your active game day roster. And that position can only be filled by a quarterback. And that quarterback can only go in the game. If your first two quarterbacks have been ruled out. So it's like, it's not an advantage, but it just helps you avoid a situation like the 49ers found themselves in in the playoffs where they didn't have a quarterback and it doesn't happen very often, but when it is needed. Yeah. Well, I mean, would their result have been any different had they had Mike Glennon, right? <laughs> you know, Jed, what's his name? Uh, Jake Luton. Uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting for the day. When are we seeing a Camara pass for crying out loud? I know he's been the saints emergency QB and he's dying to throw one. As long as Taysom Hill's on the roster, it's never going to happen. <laughs> We could have a a Camara to Taysom play. 
people yeah. really lose it. There's one other one that I'll mention is the LA Chargers are submitting a proposal to change the playoff seating structure and essentially make it so a wild card team could have a top four seed. So like if you end up in a situation like last year with in the NFC where the Giants had a better record than the Bucks, they could theoretically finish in the top four and get a home game. Whereas the Bucks, despite winning the NFC South, would go on the road because they sucked and they didn't deserve a home game. <laughs> and that that's never going to pass either, right? Like, right. It, it's funny because it makes sense until you think about it. Like, well, yeah, the LA Chargers don't have any home fans anyway. You know what I mean? So, whereas like, if you're a team that win your wins your division, one of the benefits of that is you get a home game. And I don't understand why there's this idea that. It's like, no, you win your division. Go win your freaking division. That's like one of the few perks of winning your division. Yeah, it's a a, a little questionable there that I, I think there's a lot of people, though, that are all about the best record should determine your seeding, though. I, I've been, I don't know why. I feel like I've been hearing more and more people pro that instead of rewarding your division winners. It doesn't seem like that's something that's not as held as highly anymore. I don't know. The fact is you play six division games a year and those are supposed to mean Mean something. something. Yeah. And so you're just, all you're doing is taking away the juice from those games. And I don't know why you would do that. It's like for, for the one team that gets screwed over because they weren't the best team in their division, but it's like, be better, be the best team in your division. Otherwise get rid of divisions because they don't matter. Right. Like that's what I'm going to say then too. Like if, if you go to this format, then if you're going to start just, caring about only what the win losses are just yeah, they're, take they're, the top six teams and move just, on yeah exactly forget a just have afc nfc there's no divisions anymore right right anyway i agree with that um so the last thing we'll talk about is they have set the dates for the otas and mini camp Woo-hoo. i don't really have much to say on this other than you're talking may 23rd through 25 30th through june 1st and then june 5th through the eighth they're all voluntary you can't do any contact work but you can run 11 and 11 drills so woohoo! i love how it says it's voluntary though but you know damn sure that Derek carr and most of the guys are going to be there obviously most but you know a guy like mike thomas who would typically not show up in the past maybe this year he shows up right like there might be more value placed on it this year just because you need time to get to know like when they went to Jameis winston i don't think there was as much pressure on these otas on the on the otas that year because he'd only been there for a year they are were already familiar with him in that role and it was also a quarterback competition between he and Taysom Hill. so it was like it wasn't just someone new that you were trying to get used to in this case it is so i would be a little disappointed if if i didn't see mike thomas there for just for the reason of like you, I want him to have as much work with Derek Carr as possible. I wonder too. Last year, how much were things? You know, it was coming back from the two COVID years. So, how much were things too like getting acclimated, quote unquote, back to normal? And to be fair, I do think Mike Thomas was in the building for those workouts. He just wasn't yeah, on the definitely. field because he wasn't ready to get on the field at that point. He didn't get cleared until the day of the first training camp practice. <laughs> right. So. Like, I, I think he was he was active, right? Like, he was working with the team, but he was not out on the field. So, hopefully this year there's no hang-ups. And he can just get out there and get as much work as possible. 
one way or another, we will end up seeing him, assuming he's healthy, from June 13th to 15th. That will be the mandatory mini camp that everyone has to be at. And then there's also going to be a probably, I assume, a rookie mini camp after the draft. That's not not every team has one of those, so there's no schedule put out for it. And there's also no dates right now for the full training camp, but that typically starts kind of the second or the last week of July. Yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Anything else you want to hit before we go? No, just uh, gearing up more for NFL draft time. And man, the Saints squad is. They're just always something to keep up with. And uh, I wouldn't, ex- you know, wouldn't doubt something big coming from Dennis Allen to- on Tuesday at the owners' meetings kind of thing. I think the biggest soundbite last year, at least to me, was when he proclaimed that Taysom Hill was going to be, quote unquote, the tight end position. And just uh, looking at him uh, in that position, it really just never happened. So. Can't always believe what you hear, I guess. You know, we'll have that on Friday, hopefully, um, based on whatever he says. We can go over that. And, yeah, I mean, this is the time of year where you, you hear a lot of words, but none of them mean anything. So, yeah, that's that could be the tagline for this podcast. I like it. Yeah, let's wrap on that. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button wherever you can do it. I promise you there's a button. Just got to go find it, leave a rating, leave a review. Until the next time, who? Yeah. Black and blue.